Have you ever asked yourself, am I a bad therapist? Well, you're in the right place. I'm Allie Joy, licensed professional counselor and registered art therapist. And I'm Katherine Escare, a clinical psychologist, and this is Am I a Bad Therapist? Join us each week for stories from behind the closed therapy door. You'll hear experiences that made us ask, am I a bad therapist? Including bloopers, jaw droppers, and other difficult moments that normalize the unique struggles of modern day therapists. This is a space with no experts, no gurus, and no hierarchies, just humans sitting in similar chairs. And while we're not the gatekeepers for good and bad therapy, because we're bad therapists too, we are here to shine a light on the difficult decisions therapists face on a daily basis and normalize that mysterious gray area of clinical practice that no one wants to talk about. Our mission on Am I a Bad Therapist is to normalize and humanize our existence as therapists. You can help us spread this message by subscribing and leaving us a review wherever you are right now, whether that's YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, you know the drill. You can also help us by sharing Am I a Bad Therapist with your network, whether it's on social media, your stories, or just between colleagues. Every listener helps us make a difference in this field, and we'll always reshare if you tag us. If you're listening to the podcast, make sure to check out our pretty faces on our YouTube channel. And if you're watching us on YouTube, make sure to head over to our podcast and leave a review. You can find all of our links in the notes below. We pick a few lucky five-star reviewers to shout out and invite for a 15-minute consultation with the both of us to talk about anything on your mind. From clinical work to podcasting, we're game. Just make sure to leave us your name and location in the review. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. So, Catherine, what would you say is your passion and your vice? <laughs> uh, what would my friends say my passion <laughs> and my vice is? It's very different than what I say would my passion and my vice. Uh, I would probably say, and I think you know me well enough to know, I, when I do something or try and do something, I shoot really high. Mm -hmm. I set, I set pretty high expectations, not in the terms of pressure. I'm okay falling below them, but I'm pretty ambitious. Mm -hmm. I set pretty big goals. Um, Yeah, I think that's probably, I'm I'm really passionate about what I do, but it's also like self-consuming sometimes Mm -hmm. as you probably know. I mean, I can relate. We both own multiple businesses, so I think it speaks for itself. Um, But we are going to hear today from Jess, whose self-proclaimed passion and vice is people-pleasing. This episode covers so many things. It is incredible. And it's just, there's so much in it that's amazing. 
Absolutely. And she really digs into how graduate school education can um, exacerbate some people pleasing. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting to see how it turns out for her and what she does about it early on in her career. So before we hear from Jess, just a reminder that this episode is not a substitute for therapy itself, clinical consultation, or ethical guidance, and it's just for entertainment purposes. All right. Well, this is episode number 31 of Am I a Bad Therapist? Let's get into it. Welcome to Am I a Bad Therapist, Jess. We are so excited to have you today. I'm so excited to be here. So before we get in to what makes you think you're a bad therapist, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Great. So like uh, like you said, I'm Jess. Um, I am a licensed clinical psychologist in California. I have worked in a lot of different settings, as one does over training, a lot of community mental health. I did a little stint in corrections, which I have a ton of stories about that <laughs> as well. Um, and then most recently, uh, I worked in a outpatient clinic for a large hospital system here in California. Uh, and I worked there, I did my postdoc there, and then a few years as a staff psychologist. And in the last year and a half, I made the jump to private practice, uh, where I uh, see clients who struggle with anxiety disorders, trauma, um, relational issues, and people pleasing. Those are my specialties. Well, I feel like that's the perfect segue into what made you ask yourself if you were a bad therapist, why don't you tell us what your story is today? Yes. So what made me feel like a bad therapist was being a people pleaser. Uh, This was something that I started addressing in my personal life uh, and then very quickly had to address in my professional life. Uh Uh, Yeah. So Uh, I think this is something that a lot of us can relate to is Mm -hmm. feeling um, like we really want to please not only our clients, but even some of the systems that we're we're working for. So we're often kind of pinched in between those two things. And that was definitely where I found myself before I started a journey of healing some of these people-pleasing tendencies. And now I identify more as a recovering people-pleaser than anything else. (laughs) I love that. I love that. Yeah, yeah, not never fully in remission, right? We still have that pull sometimes. But yeah. oh my goodness, Jess, I feel like there's so much we can get into. Can you just start with maybe what at what point was there a point where you recognized, oh, I need to get some help with this people pleasing or this people pleasing is an issue. And because you said it started in your personal life. Can yes. you give us a little bit uh, a background there? Yes. So in my personal life, um, I started just noticing that uh, a lot of the things that people come to me and talk about, which is I was really overextended in my personal life. I kind of felt like I was a character, like a side character in everybody else's life, jumping in, helping out, um, being really, really available to everyone else, not very available to myself. Um, I felt a lot of fatigue, a lot of kind of burnout relationally. Um, another big one was resentment. I was just really starting to feel resentful toward my family, to my friends. And then I would feel like intense guilt about that. Like, I love my family. I love my friends. I don't want to feel resentful for them or angry, but had zero way of like communicating those things. So, and feeling a lot more anxious, a lot more unsettled and restless and just kind of 
lost Mm -hmm. in general. And so that's when I decided to go back to therapy um, after grad school and I became, you know, I got licensed. So I was like, this is kind of a problem in my life. Like, I'm just not really feeling like I can be myself. And I just kind of not really understanding what all this stuff was about. So that was the first uh, part of my journey was something's off. Something's not right. I don't like these feelings that I'm having, but I don't know how to communicate them. Let me get help (laughs) to, to figure this out. Yeah, absolutely. If only, if only everyone was like, oh, I feel a certain way and I don't know what to do with it. Yeah, that's usually when you should seek some, yes. some psychological help. Yeah, yeah, that's great. That's exactly when you should be looking. Yeah, that's you exactly you know it. the exact answer or reason or everything like that. I love that. So true. I, and for everyone out there who's listening, like if you're having those feelings like that, this is the time. This is the time to, to seek this help. This is the sign that you've this been looking for. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Now, did you um, was this kind of exclusively in your personal life at first or was this simultaneously happening for you professionally or when did you start to see it professionally show up? So it was definitely happening simultaneously. But in our field, I feel like people pleasing tendencies are very much a part of the role. Mm -hmm. So we get really and and a lot of settings that I've been in. we get praised almost for being very, very flexible or very, very accommodating or make, you know, really taking care of our clients, even at the expense of ourselves, which is like the hallmark of people pleasing. So it was harder for me to, to realize I was doing it in the professional setting until later. Mm-hmm. Personal life was a little bit easier because I felt more like I didn't like this role anymore, you know, that I was playing in other people's lives. But I was getting a lot of praise and a lot of like, mm-hmm. you're, you're being such a good therapist. You're being such a good psychologist for doing all these kind of things. That it's actually a lot harder for me to realize until it kind of came to a head. And I, I can definitely share that story because there was one story in particular that I was like, oh, shoot. Okay. I, oh, yes, I, I'm a bad therapist. <laughs> yeah. We would okay. love to hear it. Yes. Oh, wait. Can I jump in? Yes, Before please, we get please, into please. that story, I do think I just want to point out a really interesting timing piece that I wasn't going to bring up earlier, but now that you elaborated, I was like, this, this has to be, has to have some connection. You did not start to recognize or seek help for your people pleasing until after you had graduated. And I wonder if you could speak Mm. to people pleasing as a graduate school student in the mental health field. Uh, Yes, this field in general pulls for it, but at least from my experience, even more so in graduate schools, when you're in an academic institution and under training uh, situations, what was that like for your graduate experience? Absolutely. I think grad school is where this is just, that's the, the kettle. Like we are just kind of in the the hot. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And I think a lot of us join this field because we do have kind of this innate caretaking sensitivity, Um, and maybe even have a lot of people-pleasing tendencies. That's how we, I like to think of people-pleasing as a relational survival strategy. That is the way that we have learned to keep ourselves safe as we relate to other people, right? So how I feel safest is if everyone else is cool, everyone else is comfortable, everyone else is soothed, escalated. Yes, absolutely. Makes sense. And it's like, if we think about it that way, a lot of people are like, well, what's the problem with that? And the where it becomes problematic is that I'm soothing everyone else at the expense of myself consistently. Mm-hmm. So I'm minimizing yeah. my own needs and my own experiences, my own emotions. And that's what I've we learned that makes us good, that I'm a good kid, I'm a good daughter, I'm a good 
this, that, or the other. So then we get to grad school and what do we want to be? Good therapists, good students, all those kind of things. And we're just inundated with a lot of information. Um, and we are given kind of the role of the therapist, which is to take care of our clients. Like we want to, that's what we're focused on, like their needs and taking care of it and minimizing ourselves. And some of yep. that is really helpful. Like it, we have to have appropriate boundaries. Like there's a lot of about where we shouldn't have needs that is actually very helpful, but so yes. much less about actually what our needs are as therapists, should we even have them? I felt like in my program or just well, many programs in general is that we don't talk about that enough. We do talk about, yeah, our clients shouldn't take care of us, self-disclosure, like all those kind of things. So then we learn, okay, it's all about the client and it shouldn't mm-hmm. really be about me. And it creates this really false dichotomy um, of, mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's all about the client and it's not about me. So then we're in all these training experiences and we just want to be so good. We want to be so good for our clients. We want to be, you know, really like good therapists. Obviously, we don't want to be bad therapists. And so we learn this is how to be is to kind of do a lot of gymnastics uh, to be the yeah. good, the good therapist and not really thinking about where our boundaries are. Mm hmm. And what I'm hearing is that absolutely those boundaries need to be there in session and in some circumstances. But when we're in environments that encourage it, encourage the the bending over backwards and putting the client's needs before ours beyond that therapeutic session, beyond that time that we are their therapist sitting in front of them, like when we are expected to go beyond our schedules, our comfort level, like our experience level, like these are all people pleasing things that we that really we need to be questioning, right? When we're in yes. environments like that. So I absolutely hear you that if we are set up for one, we have a predisposition because we, I think we self-select into this field, obviously we have yes. a predisposition, <laughs> most of us. And then graduate school, it ups the ante because it teaches us how to put ourselves second in the therapy room. And then when you're in environments that don't distinguish the difference between like therapy, like doing therapeutic work and then just being a therapist, there's a difference. I am a therapist. Like I'm always, I'm a psychologist too. So I'm always a psychologist, but I am different when I am an acting psychologist, when I'm in a therapy session, right? I'm not the same person when they leave my room and that's okay. Or when I'm scheduling them for next week, when we're done with content, Mm -hmm. like I have, I have firmer boundaries there and I have needs. I I just thank you for elaborating on how graduate school kind of in some circumstances and for some people like just catapults is the catalyst for that people pleasing just generalizing it to life as a therapist across the board absolutely and i don't know about you but a lot of the supervisors would model exactly what you're talking mm-hmm. about yes. they're super yes. overextended yes. they're yes. you know you look at their schedule and you're like oh my gosh <laughs> like that how what, in what hours and what time but then mm-hmm. you're like oh that's how i should be so it, exactly and not really differentiating yeah. those things or even teaching us how to have needs in the the therapeutic relationship, meaning mm. our needs for yeah. um, uh, integrity, for ethics, for time, for rest, for mm-hmm. you know, uh, for boundaries yeah. and safety. Like we, those things, we're not taught as much of like how to even have that in the therapeutic relationship. Let alone, of course, outside of that, <laughs> just being in the role of therapist outside of the therapy room. So it, it's kind of both sides. It's so interesting, like coming in as new graduate students, maybe we should be 
taught less on how to decrease our needs and maybe taught more on how to like they, they're acting like we're all like selfish narcissists and we yes. need to like ta- <laughs> tamp ourselves down but I really think we already walk into this minimizing mm-hmm. our needs to begin with so graduate schools take note <laughs> exactly Agreed. okay this is your yeah the PSA to all <laughs> graduate schools <laughs> this is our feedback of course yeah I completely agree. Oh my. And it's such a good point too. Like you're saying, I don't know if I actually ever thought of it that way of like how I think about myself when I'm sitting in front of a client versus like the more admin roles or things like that for scheduling. Like I feel like it's kind of there in the back of my brain, but that is such a great distinction to make of like, I do also Catherine have firmer boundaries when I'm like thinking about scheduling. But when I was an early on therapist, I was not thinking about that at all. Like I was just like, oh, this person needs to be seen. They can't meet in my hours. Like I'll just have to make a new hour. And now we're not the even more, needs. Yeah. This person wants to be seen. Yeah. Right. Sorry. Right. I just have to distinguish that. Yeah. No, I agree. Thank you for that reframe. So it is like really good to be talking about this. And I agree it should be on the graduate level of like you have your hours, but you got to make it work. We can't just yes. open it up because it leads to burn it leads to so many things to burnout. Um, so this does lead me to just going back to like, how did you start seeing this show up for you yes. professionally? Okay. Yes. So let me set the scene for you. Mm -hmm. I am in my first year, yes, uh, of licensure. Um, So I'm working in the um, outpatient uh, clinic for a large hospital setting. Um, And I'm a staff psychologist. I'm licensed staff psychologist. um, And I have an insane caseload. This is a clinic that has so, so, so much demand, not a lot of people kind of working there. And so I had an insane caseload. Um, I uh, was only able to see clients like every six to seven weeks, like on an individual therapy basis, wow. which felt like obviously not enough. Um, and um, was just really overwhelmed with the amount of need. And so I found myself again, like I was saying earlier, just really pinched between trying to people please for this the organization that I was working for, and then also trying to people please for my client in the midst of just like, there's just not enough time, space, energy, all those kind of things. So what it looked like uh, on the organizational level was accommodating my schedule to like meet the needs of the clinic, taking on clients that had a lot of high needs that I just did not have the time for. But, you know, they're like, okay, this client needs this and people are leaving the clinic. Can you take them? So I had like a lot of high needs clients. Um, yeah, really overextending myself, you know, all those kind of things. I wanted to be a good worker and a good psychologist. And it's my first year of my license. Like I was really trying to kind of prove my worth in that way. Yeah. So over there, I was doing that. And then on the other end, um, I felt such intense guilt for not, want, you know, being able to see my clients in the way that I wanted to. So I started to do what you were talking about, Allie, which is just making space in my schedule out of time, adding hours that I shouldn't have. I started ending up having no administration time. I would schedule clients into my, like the lunch break or my admin time or meeting times that I really didn't, I didn't have to go to, you know, those kind of things. So my schedule became insane. Like I was seeing like between 35 and 40 hours a week, clinical face to face, which is insane Holy moly. it's like insane but i was like this can is I, what you're supposed to do cl- yes jess can i <laughs> jump in yes please. are you salaried or hourly salary oh no uh. <laughs> Oh, not no. enough money in the world. First of all, not enough money in the world to do 35 to 40 hours of clinical. Absolutely. Like, You're right about like, that. Like literally there's yeah. like, 
unless you were every day with paying my loans off, like I just, like, there's no way. Let's pause here for a quick ad break. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. As a way to say a huge thank you for all of you listening and supporting Am I Bad Therapist across this whole year, Allie and I wanted to do something really fun and really special for the Am I Bad Therapist community. And so we have a vision board workshop for therapists that we will be hosting for all of you January 6th. What better way to kick off the new year than with your two favorite bad therapists, Allie and Catherine, learning how to vision board for you and your clients. Yes, we are so excited to bring this to you all. And it is a free workshop that we are going to be having together. We're going to post the link for registration in the show notes, of course. And we're going to be learning lots of things about vision boarding. We're going to learn about the benefits of it for both inside and outside the therapy room. We're going to learn about different types of vision boards, such as a vision board calendar, physical versus digital vision boards, um, how to use them as a clinical intervention with your clients how to use it as a form of personal self-care. And we are going to be creating a digital vision board together during the workshop. So if you want to spend some time with Allie and myself in the new year, setting our goals, learning more about vision boarding for inside and outside the therapy room, make sure you check out the show notes. The registration link is there. Totally free. It's our way to say thank you to you. And if you can't make the live event and sit with us in person, then no problem. You're going to get a recording sent to your email as soon as it's finished. So go to the show notes, register, and we will see you January 6th. And now back to the show. So I was um, crispy at this point, burnt <laughs> out, just ash on how, the ground. How long did you sustain that? How long did you um, have to sustain that or try to sustain I that? did that for, let's see, uh, a, a year and a half around there. What were your wow. supervisors saying to you? Were they like, oh, oh my God, job, you're seeing Jess. so many people. It's amazing. No. Yeah. A oh great God. job, Jess. Your so we had the client ratio, you know, client to whatever yeah. ratio. And mine was like in the nineties. Ninety percent of my clinical to admin time was in the night. It was, and I was getting praised for this. So part of me was like, uh, why? Why am I getting praised for this mm-hmm. burnout? But then part of me was like, well, I mean, it's kind of it, it's nice good. to get praise. Feels so good, and then external validation feels great. You know, that's like my yeah. breakfast, lunch, and dinner at this point is external yeah. validation. <laughs> that's the only thing sustaining. Literally, what they're paying you. In. Yes, exactly. So, um, but I was I was really starting to feel very unhappy. 
obviously, surprise, surprise. Um, and uh, it feeling angry towards, you know, the clinic, just feeling, really feeling like the work I was doing, I was just questioning it. I was like, am I even making an impact? I feel so bad. So uh, I was working with a client um, for a while, most of, most of that time. And I had started seeing her when I was a postdoc. So as a trainee, you have a little more of a protected schedule, right? Mm-hmm. So I was able to see her more frequently, like once a month, um, which is not very often, but still it was, I still got to see her once a month. Once I transitioned to a staff psychologist, I didn't want to have a difficult conversation with her to say, hey, the reality is I'm in this new role. I have new demands, new responsibilities. I'm not going to be able to see you as frequently as I would like. You know, let's process that. Instead, I said, what I will do is I will still see you at the same frequency. I'll just shove you in wherever into my, you know, schedule and accommodate that. And so, uh, cause I didn't, part of people pleasing is a big, is avoidance, right? Mm-hmm. I don't want to disappoint mm-hmm. you. I don't want to make you mad. Mm-hmm. I don't want to hurt your feelings. So I'll just take care of it. I'll just take mm-hmm. care of it on that end. So that's what I was doing with this client. And over a couple months, like the work was just not feeling like there was something going on. It was felt off, but I was so tired that I was like, okay, let's just address what's going on. And we're not going to even kind of get to the therapeutic like relationship stuff, which is so far off how I work. I'm very much paying attention to the therapeutic relationship. Like, let's talk about it. So it all comes to a head with one session. And I was so exhausted because I've seen like a million people before her. And then I had like a million people after her. So I was like, okay, let's get in here. Let's like, what's going on? What's going on? And it was so off. The whole session was just so off. But again, too tired. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, let's just, you know, what's in front of us. So then we get to the end of the session. I'm like quickly just like trying to get her into my schedule. And she goes, um, Jess, can I ask you something? And I was like, yeah, yeah, what's up? What's up? Just so rushed and with so much hurt in her voice. She says, are you okay? You just seem so unhappy. I don't even think you like working with me. I don't even think you like me anymore. Oh, oh and gosh. that was because I went, inside like you had no idea yeah no idea no idea and I was so taken aback and I had two reactions to that one was like the internal like like so much guilt like I loved working with this client so much like nothing could be further from the truth I didn't like the work in general that mm-hmm. I was doing, but the, I liked her a lot. I liked the work that we were doing. Um, and I felt such intense skill that I had hurt her in this way that she was even ha- like thought that I didn't like her. And then I had, this is what made me feel like such a bad therapist is I had another simultaneous feeling, which anger popped up. And I was thinking, I don't like you. Look at all the things I'm doing to accommodate you. Look at all these, you know, the ways that I'm bending over, which is none of her business. She had no idea. It's not her responsibility, but I had that reaction. And because I was already doing my therapy, yeah, the resentment and the martyr kind of like, look at all the things that I do for Mm -hmm. you. And Mm -hmm. because I was already doing therapeutic work in my personal life, I was able to recognize that immediately for what it was. And, but I was... 
I felt so much shame. So I had this like intense guilt and then this intense shame. Um, and it was the end of the session, which actually was, was great for me because of the experience that mm -hmm. I was having and not feeling like I needed time to process that. But what I said to her in that moment was, um, I reassured her, like, I, I do love working with you. Like that was important to say. And there is a shift in our work together. I will mm -hmm. not deny that. And I really want to talk about that next session. Like that is so important for us to talk about. And I really wanted to like just validate mm -hmm. what she felt and the shift that she felt. Because I think as a people pleaser, we want to just rush in and fix it and mm -hmm. deny something that's happening if we have hurt someone. And that is very, it's like gaslighting to like, no, you know, have yeah. someone, you know, say, yeah. oh, something's wrong with you. Like, no, 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 I'm fine. Which, I mean, that is the motto of people pleasing is like, I'm fine. I'm fine. Like, I want to get that tattooed with like the emoji of like the melting face. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> like, I'm fine. <laughs> like dying, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but I, I just knew I was like, this is, uh, this has to be talked about. So that was like the big kind of rupture and like alarm bells were going off. Like, this is a big problem that I have, uh, you know, really, and, and these people tend people pleasing tendencies have made me accommodate so much that, but mm -hmm. I have created the very thing that I was afraid of doing, mm -hmm. which is I have mm -hmm. disappointed and I have hurt. Mm -hmm. I've really hurt my client. Um, and so much so that she thinks that I don't like her at all. Like that's how burnt out. So unhappy, <laughs> resentful that I was putting into the relationship. Well, it's the self-fulfilling prophecy. Yes, Sorry, you're, it definitely is. But I was going to say, I just want to highlight, I'm sure you've, hopefully you can see this now, but you still were doing good work because she was able to bring it to you in the, in the yes. session instead of like ghosting you or not showing up. Like, I think that does right. speak to the work you were doing and the connection you had that she felt safe mm -hmm. enough to do that. And I just want to highlight that yeah. because that's really special and really powerful yeah. for a client to feel yeah. okay, bringing up a very uncomfortable subject. Yeah. yeah. Thank Where you so much. Where she could be yeah. the one rejected. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think that was like such a strength to the the therapeutic relationship, obviously, that she could bring that up um, and talk a, like talk about her hurt and tell me that. Um, and yeah, it was just like such a big um, like glass shattering moment for me as a therapist to be like, these people pleasing tendencies, this trying to accommodate everyone is making me such a bad therapist. I am so outside myself. I am so outside who I want to be as a therapist, what I want to be talking about, what I want, the work I want to be doing. Um, and it's impacting m my clients um, in that way. And it really also made me be honest with myself, which I think is a really hard thing when you're a people pleaser is being honest with how you're feeling and being honest with the reality. Because I think what I was also doing was trying to accommodate and um, make up for a system that actually wasn't working and internalizing that, mm -hmm. that I was doing something wrong because the system didn't have enough space, resources, people. It was my job to make up for that, which is mm -hmm. not the case at all. Um, and if I wasn't doing that, I felt like I was failing. And so that was like something like the reality is this is how much time I have. These are the resources yeah. that I have. And I have yeah. to be able to say what the truth is about what I can offer someone, even if I don't like what I can offer someone. I think that's what's yeah. hard. 
I didn't like what I was offering, but yeah, that's what I was able to offer. And that felt really, really hard to say because I was so worried about making people angry, especially that one, but hurting people as well. Wow. So, yeah. So how so did that you pull back? Mm-hmm. Like, because I think that's p- another difficult part is when you are a people pleaser and it's almost like you set your own standard that they expect yeah. this of you. They're praising you for seeing this many people. Yeah. How did you try to balance your schedule out? What did you do next? So what I did next was um, I asked for help <laughs> from the system. I was I went to my supervisor and I said, too much, too much. Um, I actually didn't get um, any support with that um, other than like take some vacation, um, which is, I mean, mm. take vacation, but there was like big systemic issues that were happening. Yeah. And they were like, it is what it is like too kind of like too bad, so sad kind of situation, mm-hmm. um, which I think a lot of people, a lot of therapists are, have been in or currently are in systems that that's kind of the message that you get, which is really sad and dis- uh, disappointing. So that was the message that I got. And so then I had to decide, am I willing to stay in a system? Like, can I stay in this place and do the work? Um, not in the way that I was doing it, because that that was no matter what, <laughs> that was a no-go. Um, but even in the way that they were, you know, with the um, restrictions on like how often I could see people, like my caseload, like none of that was ever going to change. And yeah. so once I could like accept like, oh, that's not going to change. They're not going to do anything about it. This is like the status quo. And I, I'm not going to, I've decided I'm not going to do any more to accommodate that. Then I had to really make a hard decision. And, and I decided to leave that system and, and try private practice, which is a very, that's a very privileged thing that I was able to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that's not everybody's option um, or, you know, opportunity to do that. Um, but I was in a position where I could do that and kind of make the leap. And so I decided um, to do that because um, I just felt so, um, yeah, like outside myself, so burnt out, so away from who I was even like, just like a, I I would often say like I was like a shell of myself um, in many ways. And I also want to commend you. You tried to make it work. You tried to go and ask for support. And Mm -hmm. it sounds like you were met with, nope, this is how it is. You can take vacation days. And you recognize, you gathered information about what the environment was and wasn't willing to to do and to to be mm-hmm. for you and made your decision accordingly. And that's that's really, really hard. And you know what I can imagine was even harder is how was it to leave your your clients there? And what happened to this particular client? Yes. So that was one of the reasons I didn't leave part of people please. I felt so guilty about leaving my clients because a lot of my clients also, um, had had many previous therapists in that system. So they were coming to me like, are you going to leave? Because I just had three, I've had three therapists in the last year kind of situation. I was like, Oh, (laughs) like, you know, uh, so I felt that intense guilt, um, which kind of kept me stuck, but then just realizing that, um, I can't make up for this system. It's not my fault that these things are happening. It is, but what I can do, what is therapeutic is to hear them out, to hear the disappointment, Mm -hmm. to hear the hurt. And I, I quickly made that decision and kind of made a plan of how I was going to exit, giving time to my clients to process like what it was like for me to leave after having so many 
um, clients. Um, but I think just leading with honesty. And a lot of the times I was saying, I don't want to, I love working with you, or I've really enjoyed our work, or I feel some type of way about leaving, you know, and this is what feels best for me, even though it doesn't feel best for you. It didn't feel best. That was like, I could not like escape that. It didn't feel best for them that I was leaving, but at least I could give them the space to hear for me to hear that and not be afraid of like whatever feeling that they were feeling. And with this client, um, we were able to make such a great repair, um, because I could hold, you know, all her feelings about, you know, that rupture and how, you know, what that was like, how she was holding back in therapy because she wasn't sure if I liked her and all those kind of feelings. That's where we started first. Um, was just her experience of that. And me apologizing where I felt that I, I did not uphold the boundary was like, you are so right. You know, you are so right about, um, me feeling this way. And I can give her more context about it. Like it wasn't her, it was my lack of boundaries, me trying to make up for the system, me trying to do something to accommodate her that actually wasn't helping at all. Um, so that ended up being like a really, really great moment for us. And then what was sad is that I had to quickly after that, tell her that I was leaving, which was so scary. Um, and she was uh, like disappointed and sad, but she also understood at the same time. Mm -hmm. So, and sometimes clients don't understand and that's okay. Um, and they, you know, are really, really hurt and that's fine. She had a different experience because she had been in the system before and she knew like kind of how it was like. So, um, we were able to really, process that. And we had time to process that, which was great. Um, and it ended up ending kind of on a, a more like solidified joined space in the therapeutic relationship, aligned, which was yeah. awesome. Yeah. Much more aligned um, for both of us, which was great. I, that sounds like a exposure flooding situation, uh, for people pleasing, needing <laughs> to not only disappoint people that you're leaving, but then you have to sit with them and process their disappointment in you. <laughs> yes. That is major Nightmare. flooding right there. <laughs> did you, honest, honestly, did you, like, that, ha- did you feel any differently towards your people pleasing after having left that site and gone through that processing of others' disappointment in your departure? What was that like for you with, internally? Yeah, it it's exactly that. It was exposure therapy. I had to do it. And it, it really did change the way that I did the work and change started to change my idea of what therapy is and what a therap- a good therapist is oh. uh, because I had to do this work. And one of the big things was breaking down that dichotomy between clients needs and my needs. Like it's either all the client or it's all me. Like that's kind of, it's the all or nothing. Like if I say anything, it's all about me or it it has to always be about them. And it's so interesting because we don't think about that as therapists with any other relationship. If you do couples therapy, you're not like, that's the problem. And like only one person is contributing. Only one person has needs. We see a relationship as two people with needs, neither right, neither wrong, that are trying to figure it out. And so kind of approaching it more like that, like this is what I actually think about relationships. And so if I have a need, which is a need to leave 
um, and to you know, to exit this situation for my own well-being, even if it conflicts with their needs, which is to have me as a therapist, neither is right, neither is wrong. We can still talk about the impact of that. And so that completely shifted this need to minimize a need that needs to be in the relation, the therapeutic relationship. Um, so yeah, it was so hard. I mean, so difficult. I was so done after that. I took like six weeks off before I even started my pr- private practice. Cause I was, like I said, crispy yeah. at that point. Um, and it was a paradigm shift and it was dealing with, I mean, one thing about people pleasing is that we have a very low guilt tolerance. So anytime we think we're going to feel guilty or we do feel guilty, we just are like trying to get rid of that mm-hmm. by accommodating. And I had to really stretch that tolerance. Um, and, and it was very uncomfortable. However, it's been one of the most beneficial things I've ever done as a therapist and as a human being, mm-hmm. um, because I, I, I learned to be able to hold space for both my client and myself when appropriate. It's not always the case, but when it is, I don't have the guilt or the fear or the avoidance that I had before. Still uncomfortable. Don't get me wrong. Not my favorite (laughs) thing in the world. (laughs) Not my favorite thing, but I can do it without all the gymnastics of trying not to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And this is one of my favorite things I feel like on the podcast is Again, we started this because we wanted to normalize, right, making mistakes. And we wanted people to feel just like less alone. And it is amazing to me how much it highlights that so often these mistakes that feel like the worst decision we made actually shape who we are as therapists. And I feel like we've heard this lately a couple of times. And this highlights it like the mistakes don't feel good. They won't feel good. But again, they can transform us and transform how we see the therapeutic relationship, how we work with clients. And just hearing you say that is incredible because as uncomfortable as it was, like you said, this was a huge shift for you into becoming, you know, what you want to be as a therapist. And that's amazing. That's like yeah. so special. I just love hearing that. Yeah. It is so special. And uh, this is what I love so much about your podcast is that it is allow hearing stories allows us to be human. And I think there are so many ways in which we as therapists have been taught to be to be dehumanized or dehumanize ourselves in, in a lot of ways. And people yeah. pleasing is one of it is really dehumanizing to people please all the time and say, I don't have needs. My needs aren't important mm-hmm. um, in general, but even in our professional lives is to operate as though we as therapists are not human. And then we're trying to have a therapeutic relationship with, with someone that's trying to help with, you know, healing relational things. And so that's why I love about the space is that we can come in here and we can listen to stories that are like, oh, actually these mistakes make me human. And my humanity is the thing that is the thing that is going to be so healing and so safe and promote so much change. Um, and so that I think, again, I thank you both for like having this space. It has been so such a great resource. Thank you. I'm saving that clip and yes. it's going to be my ringtone. I'm going to make that my alarm in the morning. <laughs> that, that so just, we, we couldn't agree more. And thank you so much for your kind words. But we when you said our human, you know, we're trying to minimize being humans and our humanity is the thing that actually is healing. Like that. Oh, yes, 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 yes. 
Amazing. Well, you've shared so much, um, again, your story, so much knowledge. um, But what would you say to someone who might be a people pleaser, either recovering or not, if they're finding themselves bending over backwards for their clients, over accommodating professionally, what would you say to them? So first thing I would say is that there is another way. There's another way of being um, that where you can have your your full humanity um, and it can, we can start really, really small. Being mindful, asking questions about like, how am I experiencing this? What is this like for me? Trying to be truthful with ourselves. And um, the best place that I've found to be truthful is through support in therapy. That's where I, um, you know, were, was able to really truthfully, honestly, messily uh, deal with some of these things. So my biggest thing is to get support, um, you know, with someone who you trust, who is safe, who has experience doing that. Um, and uh, and also, like, if you're a, a therapist, it's like finding people, mentors or people that you look up to or friends that exhibit what you, how you want to operate, like who have really good boundaries, who are unapologetic Mm -hmm. in that way. Um, And unapologetic does not mean warming, uh, not warm or kind, Mm -hmm. you know, it's Mm -hmm. just saying I have, Mm -hmm. this is, you know, who I am. I'm a human. I have boundaries and needs and can still be warm and kind and considerate. So Mm -hmm. I think those things, um, in my practice, you know, if anyone is looking for support, this is something that is um, both my my passion um, and my vice, as I <laughs> was talking about way earlier. But uh, this is something that I am really passionate about working um, with. Um, and so if anyone is looking for, you know, particular support, they can find me um, at my website, uh, com. I'm on Instagram at drjesspsyd.com. PSYD. Um, and I put out a lot of reels and, and, you know, different posts that are really targeted to people oh, yes. pleasing. So Your if you want to like laugh. It's amazing. Everyone needs to oh, go follow Jess. It is like, and that's how Jess, you and I connected originally. And I really love that the messages you're putting out there on social media mm-hmm. and your honesty and like vulnerability here and, you know, in your social media presence is incredible. And even it's such a great resource. So hopefully our listeners can connect with you because it again is just that like refreshment I need on my feed, like that reminder that we are humans, like it's amazing. So I have to shout that out. Oh, thank you so much. It's so fun. It's fun to to make that kind of content. And then also just like poke fun at it too, because it's kind of funny this, the situations that we get ourselves into. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. Absolutely. We couldn't agree more. Well, thank you so Jess. Thank you so much for being on the podcast please come back with any more therapist bloopers or missteps as you continue your journey. Um, And everyone, don't forget to go follow Jess. And thank you for listening. Thank you. And that's it. The OG Bad Therapist, Allie and Catherine, are signing off for the week. Make sure to subscribe and leave us a review. We pick a few lucky five-star reviewers to shout out and invite for a 15-minute consultation with the both of us to talk about anything on your mind. From clinical work to podcasting, we're game. Just make sure to leave us your name and location in the review. And are you a bad therapist and want to join us on the show? Go to abadtherapist.com and tell us your story. Our podcast is produced and edited by my amazing husband, Austin Joy. He also created the music for our intro and outro. You can find this song, along with many others, on any music platform under the artist Air 4 Effect. 
And if you're a bad therapist starting your own podcast, contact Austin for his full suite of podcast and sound production services. You can find him on Instagram at Air Effect. And don't forget, we're all bad therapists.